0: to Prime Venture Partner Podcast, where we bring you impactful moments from the lives of entrepreneurs, new CXOs, and investors who are playing a key role in building digital India.
1: Hi, this is Amit Somani from Prime Venture Partners. Today we have with us Saiki, co-founder and CEO of X210X. Welcome to the
0: podcast, Saiki. Hey, thanks very much, Amit. Lovely to be here.
1: Psyche, would love to know a little bit about what X 210 x is and your own background. You have a very interesting background, having gone from McKinsey in a consulting role to, you know, the deep end of Flipkart. And then now, of course, uh, playing, you know, mentoring and other kind of roles at X 210 x So maybe you can give us a little bit of your story.
0: So that's already a pretty loaded question, Amit. When you say deep end at Flipkart. So yeah, I guess it was a somewhat unusual transition. I think only Anant and I have done it, uh, having spent 15 odd years at McKinsey and being a senior partner there. Everyone says you've arrived in life. Why would you change anything? So to quit and come and start afresh at Flipkart was was quite a transition. But frankly, haven't regretted a moment. It's just been an extraordinary journey. So I spent after that two years at Flipkart, where for the most part I was running eCard, the supply chain side of the company, and then a year at Ola, leading marketplace there, and then Extra 10X. So to answer the other part of your question. Well, extratenex frankly, came as an inspiration over breakfast with Binny, And we were talking about like, what's a really meaningful thing to go after next in life? And what has life prepared us for? Are we even useful for anything, frankly, at this point in our lives? Binny, of course, co-founded Flipkart, uh, like a massive 10-year journey. And I having spent time at McKinsey and Flipkart, we said, okay, this DNA now is, we can do one more company, but can we do something that can make a dent across the world in a very meaningful way? And we said, we do one company, it makes a dent in a part of the world. But if you can impact all startups who are transforming the world, then that's something that could be a lot of fun doing and we could have a lot of impact. So that was just the idea. And then we said, this idea is very special. We had no idea what we we're going to do with it. So we said, okay, let's get going. So that's how X210X was born. And frankly, if I have to blame one person for it, that blame goes to Binny. Because his idea to do something for the startup ecosystem was sort of where it all began.
1: Wonderful. So just going back to the McKinsey thing for a moment. So what were some of the things you picked up at McKinsey that you were able to apply right away at Flipkart and Ola? And what were things that were a little bit hard coming from that
0: role? Got it. So I think if you really tell me that the basic analytical training of asking the why questions to anything, right? Frankly, for the first four, six weeks, I was frozen. I had no idea what was going on. I was leading a fairly large org and they used to keep doing reviews with me. And I said, now, should I say something? Should I not say something? I mean, I can't sort of figure out anything that's going on. And for the first time in my life, I was looking at P95 metrics, P99 metrics and trying to make sense of all of it. Because in Flipkart, the one percentile impact still impacts tens of thousands of customers, right, in a week. So understanding the significance of corner cases, edge situations, being able to problem solve at that edge all that was relatively new to me. So I was a little bit frozen, to be honest. And I said, hang on, I've been doing this for a living for a long, long time. Going in and talking to CEOs and asking fundamental questions about what the business is doing. So after six weeks, I said, look, everyone is anyway messing around and doing creative stuff. And in Flipkart, everyone is sort of hard charging and aggressive. I also might as well jump in there and have fun. So frankly, at the end of six weeks, I just gave myself permission to just be myself and went back to the basic McKinsey training of asking questions, deep analytical questions. Caring deeply about people. So, anyone that I worked with on my leadership team was more than just a reportee or a colleague. I always felt I could invest deeply in making them successful. And asking the fundamental questions of where is all this going? Is this even meaningful stuff to pursue, which can inform things like a product roadmap and what are the areas we should work on over the next three, four quarters? So, I think after six weeks, I realized I just fall back to the basic McKinsey training, trust your instincts, and it tends to work more often than not.
1: Wonderful. So switching gears and moving on to X to 10X, there are several things that you guys do over here, right? And you are particularly passionate about. Maybe we'll, we'll pick a couple of them. Sure. Um, one term I've heard a lot from you is business design. Another one is org design. Yes. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about business design, org design. What are the kinds of things you guys do here? And in particular, with respect to the growth stage startups that you're looking at?
0: Yes. So, I mean, where does this come from? So this business design, org design is not something maybe Neeraj are sort of inflicting on an unsuspecting startup ecosystem. Frankly, that's not where these terms come from. We've done now maybe something like uh, 65, what we call vision challenges with founders, Amit, which is the founder just come and talk to us for two hours, freewheeling chat, no format, no agenda. And they talk to us about what's going on with the company and what the real unlocks are when they look forward. But the reality is if I have to tell you what the most repeating pattern is across these 65 conversations, not a small number, right? And these are all growth stage companies. So typically series B plus and many of them series C plus as well. The reality is it's it's at series B, you hit the first barriers in terms of what do I do next to start facing serious problems. So all the initial excitement of product market fit giving you velocity, That carries you through series A and B if you've built a great company, things take care of themselves, you feel boss, even if I don't come to work, the company will still grow. At series B, you have to start answering the questions of hang on, I'm starting to run out of suppliers or that first early blush of 100% quarter on quarter growth, getting to the first million customers, that's now done. Now, where do I go from here? And now that the reality is expanding product market fit and saying what is the business that I that will scale 10 times from here is what we call business design in very simple terms, which may mean now to provide supply the same quality, you have to go more full stack, for example, or you have to invest in tech on the supply chain side. What was the e-cart moment for Flipkart? So e-cart moment is an example of a business design shift well into product market fit on e-commerce. So that's, that's the business design piece. The org design piece, Amit, is a very, very simple question. You said, okay, you want to achieve this over the next year. This is the business design that you need to pursue. Now answer one simple question. You're shifting now from a focus on just growth to growth plus profitability. Is that same org going to be good enough that you had last year? And what astonishes me is that orgs actually don't change by default. Everyone carries the same org year after year when the business context is changing so dramatically. So we just insist on asking this question. Is the org you had last year going to help you do what you want to accomplish next year? That's what these two topics are. Great. So let's drill a little bit into the business
1: design. Yes. Let's say I'm a growth stage startup. I'm raised very series B. I've got product market fit. You know, obviously some traction, revenue, etc. Okay. How do I do a self-assessment, right? I mean, many people will have access to the vision challenge that you offer, and many won't, right? Yes. This is, podcast is meant for entrepreneurs yes. at large. Yes. You know, what are some basic, you know, toolkits or set of self-reflective questions you can ask to say, hey, look, uh, obviously everybody will do their OKRs or targets, but that's not what this is, right? Saying what are the fundamental, you know, ways in which you can do an assessment to say, ah, you know, something
0: is happening. You have a flair for this. You're using my words, so I have to find new words because this is exactly what we do when we do an academy session on business design. The first thing we do 15 minutes into the session is a self-assessment with 10 simple questions. I won't talk to all 10 of them. Yeah, but here are some of the two or three practical questions that we ask. The first one is, can you put numbers, now you've been in the market long enough, can you put mathematics... To the practically addressable market as you see it today. So the thesis is now no longer 100 million customers, 100 cities, world domination. Most of the game. That's what got you here. Now your product is out there. It's been used by consumers. You have real signals on what's the market where you're solving the problem most deeply. So the first question very simply is, what's the practically addressable market as you see it based on real evidence today? And that has resulted in, by the way, that question alone in fairly profound reorientations. Because this is my real customer. You know what happens at Series B? You still have to grow at the same rate. So you start now spending more and more money about consumers where the PMF is weaker. You've heard this famous thing, right? When you pull back the discount, 20% of my customers go away. What is that? Is basically symptoms of weak product market fit for the larger and larger sets of consumers you're trying to acquire. And at that point, you're not trying to acquire more consumers that love you. You're just trying to acquire more consumers, right? So that's question one. The second question is, what is your funnel? And why is your funnel what it is? Right? Just this question alone, frankly, I, maybe I'm doing some damage to myself by saying it on this podcast. This question alone of saying if 100 people are visiting your app or your website or whatever it is, what's happening to those 100 people all the way through to the point of transaction do you have the why why analysis for every stage of drop-off? So they're showing up. Many people bounce off without even actually spending meaningful time on the app. Many people will transact once and not come back. Many people will see price for the first time and then drop off. Why is that? And do you have both the qualitative insight as you go out and talk to consumers? And do you have the analytical understanding of what's going on? So these are two of ten questions, but you get a sense. This is this, these are the simplest. Question that everyone has heard a hundred times. All we do, frankly, Amit, is insist that you answer them well for yourself. Don't make me happy as a founder. Just reassure yourself you have good answers to these kinds of questions.
1: No, it's phenomenal. Actually, very interestingly, also apply at a very early stage. But I can see how when you're going, you know, pun intended, from X to 10X or 10X to 100X, this would be even more profound, right? Because you may be stuck in a niche of a small market, or you may be attracting all kinds of customers. Raul Vora from Superhuman has this beautiful metric that I've started using a lot called High Experience Customer Feedback, HXC, I think he calls it. Saying what percentage of customers will be deeply disappointed if you shut down your product today, right? Uh, Etc. So very interesting. I I, I love those two questions. Now on the org side of it, why is it that people get stuck in, you know, whatever the org was? Is it just inertia? Because these are all hard-charging entrepreneurs with ambition and hiring everybody and their mother and so yeah. forth, right? So, why are they getting stuck? Is it just, you know, some legacy or inertia or what is it? And, and
0: how do you overcome it? You said it, uh, I mean, the answer was in your question, Amit. I think people don't like change. If I have a job, I'm doing well at it, I'd rather not change. And as the org gets larger, remember, as Extra we operate disproportionately in the scaling context when you hit meaningful growth. Typically, the companies we're seeing already have two, three hundred people at least. Once you have two, three hundred people trying to adjust the structure of what work they're doing and how they work is a tough thing to tackle. Now, would we wake up in the morning and rush to work and try and tackle tough things? Or would we want to continue on the fun stuff of the next product feature or evolving the design of the product we're doing? The tendency tends to be focus on product as opposed to focus on all. Because remember the shift, the game shift here is the product is what got you the velocity up to series A, B. Post that point, the org now has to start solving harder problems. So the org has to evolve. So the one hack we try and give founders, think of the org now as one of your products. And if you had to design the org to solve the problems, does this work? So you take some examples, right? A simple functional structure of just product, tech, growth, whatever, whatever works just fine. Right up to the typical series A, B stage. But now you're going to start solving deeper problems of how do I increase usage? How do I get attached for newer products and launching? Now, those are complex problems that are highly cross-functional in nature, which means I need product, tech, growth, ops, sales, all to come together to solve a problem like that. So an org design for that context that may be much more appropriate is a GM structure. Put one business-oriented person in charge of it, and create a full stack team, product, tech, everything else, in that team to solve a problem deeply. If you continue with the cross-functional structure, you know what will happen? People will say, oh, now we've become bureaucratic, we have to keep coordinating with each other. And these are typical signs of what goes on at that, at that stage, right? So, org design is an incredibly potent weapon. But the tendency is to deploy, it means I have to tell so many stories, explain to so many people, Act frankly, rather not. So, so let's piece this apart, right? So, This
1: will have a bearing on how you hire people as well. Let's say we are getting somebody, you know, superstar like Psyche from McKinsey. And you're saying, come do e-card. And then I do my org design, you know, N dot, you know, whatever, 8. And I say, oh, sorry, I got you for e-card, but don't worry. You're going to go do X. So how does that have, one, the bearing on the hiring process, right? What kind of people do you hire, especially at a leadership level? Two, any thoughts on how to do the change management? For people that are already there, I was an expert on product in XYZ and I've been doing that year after year after year in a particular way. Now suddenly say, hey, Amit, go become the GM of whatever, right? And you're like, whoa, hang on a second. So maybe a little bit on both of those, right?
0: Yeah, I know that's a great question, uh, Amit. And frankly, there isn't, you know, please don't listen to what I'm going to say in the next two minutes and think that that's the silver bullet answer because there ain't a silver bullet answer to this question. I think part, if I reflect on my own personal story, right? I didn't join Flipkart to lead eCart. And if I actually think of many of the successful Flipkart leaders over time, they joined doing something and they ended up doing something else and they actually hit the purple patch doing that something else, right? If you look at the journey of leaders like Samir and Rahul, right? Who came in on the back of an acquisition into into Flipkart and where they are now as co-founders of PhonePay. Frankly, that journey, no one can predict that journey. So, and Sachin and Vinny didn't go out to hire the co-founder as a phone pay. No one even thought of phone pay at that point. Same in my case, which is I joined on the e-commerce side and ended up running e-card. Bottom line is a leader is a leader, which means you're looking for some fundamental skills for the ability to lead in a relatively ambiguous environment. Can this person understand a business problem? Can this person set an audacious ambition? Can this person build and lead a team? Can this person roll up his or her sleeves, which is required 30% of the time you're working with a PM or an analyst solving in the trenches problems. If you ask the fundamental questions of what makes a great leader and they meet those criteria, then you hired someone who can fit pretty much anything, right? So that's the part of the answer. This is not to take away from deep functional specialization. So when you've got tens of thousands of people, like in the e context, You need the caliber of someone like Neeraj to be able to run a military machine, right? Or Vijay at Mygate for that matter, who actually ran uh, military operations, right? You need people who have the DNA where you wake up every morning and I know something needs to happen by 7am or I'm in trouble. That's not me, by the way. I don't have that sort of discipline. I can only respect Neeraj and Vijay from a distance. But that now in the ops context, that structure is not going to change that dramatically. So that's where you need to play for depth and specialization in some context. So frankly, it's a partial answer, but hopefully gives you some. Sure, Sure. Any thoughts on the change management for existing people,
1: people that are already there on day zero of Flipkart have been there seven years. Now we've hit this inflection, like super inflection point, let's call it. How do you help them deal with the change?
0: So this was, I had to throw out all the textbooks, frankly. When I did an org program at McKinsey, it used to take six months to change a part of one org. In Flipkart, we used to change the org design pretty much every year after BBD. Every year. It used to be like almost like an operating process. And that's because we need to do different things next year. Org design has to change. So one thing you have to over-invest in is the storytelling and just investing the time with people to explain why. Right once, And then everyone in companies like this, you haven't come to Flipkart to do a bureaucratic job. You want to get on with the business of building a great company. That's true of all, all startups, right? So you just invest in the storytelling and explaining why. And this becomes more of the founder's job, right? Delivering the inspiration, telling the stories, convincing people why the new direction makes sense. Then the structure change and getting people to adapt to new things becomes, frankly, a relatively obvious corollary to where the company needs to go. If you've not convinced people on where the company needs to go, frankly, you have a deeper problem than org design or changing org structure. Wonderful.
1: Lots and lots of interesting insights. We could go on all day. Maybe any other things that we haven't talked about, say things around pitfalls or other, you know, sort of do's and don'ts. If you have any, uh, before we wrap up here.
0: I I have just the one, uh, I mean, that doesn't make sort of anyone's radar very naturally, which is founders investing in their own personal growth. I think the risk beyond uh, a series B stage is this monster can get big on you and can get bigger than you. Now, the question you have to keep asking yourself is, am I the founder or the CEO this company needs one year from now? And oftentimes the answer will be maybe or partially. So keeping yourself real, keeping yourself honest, getting quality feedback. The other problem is the founder as you become more successful is more and more in a bubble. Where they hear good news, people are more and more afraid to come and tell you hard truths. So investing in the founder, keeping pace with where the company needs to go, this sort of doesn't make everyone's top five, obviously. But according to me, it could be the most important piece of ensuring enduring relevance for a founder as a company goes to I think that's pretty
1: profound. And... Perhaps at that, we'll sort of call this podcast to a close. So, thank you, Psyche, so much. Lots of interesting insights. Again, Psyche, co founder and CEO of X210X. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks
0: so much, Emma. Dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Prime Venture Partners podcast forget to subscribe to this show so that you can stay updated with great conversations like these you can share your feedback at our twitter handle at the rate prime vp underscore in or leave your review on apple podcast or wherever you listen to the show from